Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cloud-Based Mayhem. Got a great show for you today with World Cup and German team pilot Daniel Turkus, who's had a, an amazing career, including competing for Germany in the 2002 Olympic Games in Salt Lake City in the halfpipe. Uh, we talk about his approach to risk and flying huge triangles in the Alps. He's from kind of the Kimsey region, which the ex-Alps goes through every year. And I've always, I always see him kind of ping up on those huge days on, on X contests. Uh, so he gets after it, but he's also got a real job and real family. And so doesn't have all the time in the world. And, but he's managed to uh, take a very methodical approach to flying and done really well with it for a long time. He's never had an accident. Talk about that and why and some of the reflections he's had over the years on on getting good, going big, and staying safe. So I think you're really going to enjoy this talk I did. We talked a lot about the Olympics too, which was a ton of fun. The only bit of housekeeping I have is as we get into the travel season for those in the Northern Hemisphere, and I guess Southern Hemisphere going to the Northern Hemisphere to, to fly, is the insurance game continues to uh, change. And it's been a hard thing to kind of pin down the article I have on the website, if you go to cloudbasedmayhem.com and just put in the search term insurance, I am constantly updating that with recommendations. I'm, of course, no expert, but as I have pushed for years and years uh, that we need to have proper coverage in case things go pear-shaped. A lot of our fellow friends who have gotten hurt, especially overseas, and don't have the right kind of coverage can quickly run into the six figures and be real painful for family, friends. You know, we see a lot of GoFundMe kind of things to try to get people home. Uh, so don't let that be you. Don't think it's not going to happen to you. Better to just be covered and prepared. It's literally the cup of, it's less than a price of coffee a day uh, kind of thing to get yearly coverage. And this is not just domestic insurance, but travel insurance and repatriation insurance, evacuation insurance. So uh, I make recommendations there and tell you why, and it's worth going through it and figuring it out, especially before you go off to a World Cup or go off to a competition or just go off to fly and have some fun. Hope you're all having a good spring. There's been some big flights going down lately. I'm envious. I've been building a house. I've been flying too much, so uh, but I'm watching it and uh, getting ready for summer. So hope you're all having a great one. Enjoy this really fun talk with my friend, Daniel Turkus. Daniel, great to have you on the show. I've been really excited to talk to you since we chatted down at the World Cup in Colombia, which was, man, that was fun. And uh, you ended up having a pretty good race. And so we're going to talk a lot about paragliding and comp flying and all that. And I'm going I'm to enjoy the view out your window here with it sounds like it's dumping over there, which is great. I know the Alps needs more snow as we do, but I wanted to start off with the Olympics. You were in Salt Lake for the Olympics uh, in snowboarding. So tell me about that. You know, I had pretty big aspirations as a ski racer and trashed my knees when I was 17 and then 18 again. And that all ended with that. But uh, how'd you make the transition and how was it? How was it uh, being in the Olympics? Congratulations. Thank you. I mean, 
pretty long time ago. In fact, it's pretty much 20 years yeah, I was going to say, it's a 20-year anniversary. Exactly, yeah. It was 2002, Salt Lake. Um, well, where should I start? Um, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, I really enjoy your podcast, too. I listen to them regularly on long drives. Uh, regarding the snow, in fact, I don't need it anymore. They start closing <laughs> down, and I'm more like it's uh, flying season. now. Yeah. You know, skiing, skiing is over. Yeah, I think it's a bit strange here, the weather, but uh, it will disappear quick, I think. Yeah. Um, anyhow, um, well, where should I start? I was skiing, like you, yeah. and quite a lot because of my parents were skiing, and um and then when the snowboarding popped up, I was a skateboarder and um, also windsurfer, now more the kite surfer and always outdoor sports. And then I made the switch to snowboarding and um, somehow I was pretty good, probably also because of my gymnastics background. I also did gymnastics when I was a kid. Mm. Yeah. And then, uh, in fact, I, I first I had a sponsor like from our local shop where I was living back then. And then I was like, yeah, I'm now having a sponsor. So I had some, you know, gear for free. So probably I should do some comps. And um, that's how it all started. Huh. Right? And it was pretty tough because in the beginning, well, I I um, was a student. I had no money. So I slept in my car. Um, <laughs> dirt bag. No heating, of course. Right. Yes, exactly. Classic dirt bag. Um, but I somehow enjoyed these comps and... Um, then at first was park and then the pipe riding came up and, um, you know, and it was still ISF. Um, so the international snowboard federation and I kept getting better. So I went from regional comps to German to European. And then suddenly I, Oh, I'm qualified for the world cup. And then I did in total, I did four, four years of, um, four seasons, um, world cup tour during my studies. In fact, I studied mechanical engineering, and, and, um, and this yeah. was all, was it pipe? Was it free ride? You know, now, now there's a lot more events than what you had even back then, but what's, what was, what was your specialty? It was, well, first it was park, but then it kind of transitioned to pipe. Okay. And, um, then, uh, in the beginning I was also doing some border cross races and big air. Um, so anything basically that came along huh. while you were there already anyways, I never did any slalom or Giant slalom okay, so stuff no, like that, no you know, gate, with the no. hard boots. I was always, always a soft boot rider. Okay. Water cross, yeah. Yep. Okay. That you have some, some, uh, some uh, gates to pass, right? Yeah. And then uh, I, I kind of was here. Um, and, and the first two years, I couldn't travel. I couldn't afford, I didn't have proper sponsors to travel overseas. So the first two <coughs> World Cup years were kind of in Europe, you know, everything you could reach with the car. And sleeping in the car there and for me it was like okay i want to snowboard you know and that was that was cool and then i started being better and better and then i thought oh this is maybe the ticket to see the world you know that was a bit of a driver you know yeah. because i always had like a bit of a travel each and i wanted to see the world yeah and that's basically how it evolved and then i had a sponsor and then i started traveling you know proper sponsor and then i also made the transition to the ski federation and because my sponsor went bankrupt as well uh, it's a long story <laughs> <coughs> but to make it short it got better and better and better and then um it was for me the ticket to see the world so i was in japan twice i was in chile i was in um, you know i was in lake tahoe and in vancouver and on the east coast and it's been a great time 
Then um, I was already close for the Olympics in Nagano in 1998, but I couldn't make it. And then um, I thought, okay, yeah, well, maybe Salt Lake. Um, but it was also really close, to be honest. So I really literally qualified in the last possible comp, in the last possible run. Whoa, that's some pressure. It was me and another guy. And um, we were in the finals and I was second and he was first. So I had to go. It was reverse order in the last run, two final runs, right? So we both disappeared in the woods, you know, trying to focus. And, <laughs> and I had a really, really, exactly, yeah. The pressure was really on. And yeah. then um, I did a really, really great run. And I think I finished the comp in the top five or something. And he slammed. He fell. Wow. Oh, that was it. Meant to be. Meant to be. Yes. And, wow. Um, yeah, and then I went to Salt Lake City, and that was really cool because, um, okay, Olympics, you know, I mean, that's still, I think, for any athlete, it's the the comp you want to be at, right? Yeah, it's bigger I mean, than worlds or European championships or whatever. Yeah, that's the mountain town. Yeah. yeah, and that was cool because there was like a, a half stadium basically built around the pipe loads of people and you could choose your music and you know like wow. it was a cool event that, sure. that olympics was beautiful and it was you know they they did a really nice job and it was it was a it was an amazing event the whole thing that, that olympics was yeah. th this have one, you been there or did you just follow because you I just followed not it. too far away. no yeah, i was yeah. i was sailing then i was sailing around the world so i actually ah, didn't okay. even get to yeah. see that much of it but um but it was you know, it was it was weird watching Beijing this year. You know, Salt Lake really kind of yeah. lined up better for winter mountain yeah. sports. You know, that was yeah, that was kind of bizarre in, in Beijing. But, yeah, I agreed. Yeah. God, it looked cold yeah. this year too. Man, it looked miserable. Holy moly! Mm -hmm. But what? What? So just, I mean, I, I, we got to talk about paragliding. But the the that experience, um, can you can you summarize it? I mean, does it still just leave a huge mark on you? It must have been amazing to be part of, I mean, the Olympics. It's, ah, it's a dream. In, f in fact, it left a mark because I still feel my shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> Did you crash in it? Did you get hurt in the Olympics? Uh, yeah, in fact, it was a bit unfortunate. I mean, it was very unfortunate. Um, and while well, no illusions, I wouldn't be winning them, right? But I thought, okay, I can be in the finals. You know, I mean, I was an amateur, right? I was studying yeah. at the same time, an engineer, having getting an engineering degree together. And um, so, in fact, I got injured before the comp and not in the half pipe, but playing volleyball after training, you know, like to oh. for a bit of a cool down. And in fact, you know, I went up to block and my, my trainer, as well. and he oh. jumped on my foot when landing and oh. so my ankle was fucked oh. one day before oh, the, 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 no. the afternoon before yes oh, and, but I still didn't want to give up and of course I wanted to do it right and um, so I got fixed up as good as you can with tape around you know and painkillers and everything and it was kind of okay I could ride but um and i could also do all the years landing forward like you know not goofy yeah so not i was riding goofy but not backwards like so landing fake the other foot forward yeah 
because the pressure and the transition, it was already super pipe back then, right? I knew my ankle, ah, it's tough. So I can't take it. pressure probably. So I yeah. avoided this last trick all the time in training. So I could ride. Yeah. Long story short, um, it was a switch hark and flip. So, you know, one, one flip and two spins, basically that's what it was landing, um, landing fakey. And then, um, my, my ankle couldn't take the pressure and smack full on on my shoulder, dislocated my shoulder. Oh. And I thought I just had caught the edge, you know, because it felt like it. And then, um, yeah, my shoulder was fucked too. And my ankle and oh. you had two runs to qualify, but I didn't want to give up. And, you know, I had chosen highway to hell from ACDC. Yeah, <laughs> dude, nice. Awesome. In That's my Utah warm up for the paragliding Mormon. still. Yeah, <laughs> in the, in, imagine in Utah with the Mormons, right? Highway to oh, hell. Oh, they would have and been psyched where people just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I was flying high and it was really good. And I, you, you hear, you know, it goes silent and you hear while, you, while you're in the air really high. And you hear the crowd cheer while you're flying. I didn't hear the music. I heard the crowd, funny enough. Really? Right? I heard the music before the run, but in the run, I heard the crowd. Oh, and what then an I went up for the second run with more painkillers and then same thing, smack again on the same shoulder. Mm. Yeah. And then, um, well, I rehab and everything. But six weeks later, I was in Japan for the next World Cup. And, um, yeah, so I finished that season basically. And then I was fifth in the world ranking, which wasn't too bad, but you know, I had yeah. to finish my engineering degree too. And then I thought, okay, maybe it's a good time to, you know, call it a day. And, um, then I finished my career basically, um, because I wasn't going to go for another four years. You know, I was already 27 right. and which is pretty old for, you know, a half pipe snowboarder. You have to yeah. be able to take some impact. How about Sean White this year? What was he, 36 or something? I mean, it was the 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 poundings, the I mean the the height and the this it, it's just such a magnificent thing to watch. But I mean, they're doing that on ice. I mean, that Beijing Correct. pipe was just I mean, and it is regardless, it's all it's ice no matter where it's just it's hard because you guys are riding it so hard and it's they shape it every day and it's freezing every night. And man, it's just like you know, you're 30 feet above the ledge, you're what Correct. you're 50 it's feet hardcore. off the bottom of the pipe. Yeah. It's hardcore. It's yeah, man, you don't just, you, as long as everything up, you're just yeah. broken, you know, you just yeah. shatter. Yeah. Oh, that's man. what I mean. You need to take impact, and uh, it's okay as long as everything you land smooth in the transition right if sure. you if you push off a little bit too much boom flat yeah or if you push a little bit too little you land on the table right or even worse like not just not enough and that's why it's called to disaster right one foot it's on top so and one foot on and it's precision yeah and i also remember in finland also pure ice and you have to go and fly five meter high you know so like when, when you when you watch that kind of so i we have a big pipe here at the local hill yeah. we've got the big hill and then we've got a little hill yeah. where they've you know they have they have the park and the pipe and you know really good athletes come and train here because they've got good snow mm -hmm. and they've got good shaping and all you know i don't know anything about that but uh you know they've they've got a really good ski team here too alpine i was always alpine i never did any of the tricks yeah. and i always yeah. kind of sucked in the air i wasn't really that good at any of the stuff that you did and but when I watch what's, you know, and this was a long time ago, I'm almost 50, you know, so this was back in the 
eighties and early nineties. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but when I watch these kids now, 14, 15, 16, 17, I can't even believe it. I, I mean, I, I, I watch that and go, God, did I even ever, was I even close to that good? You know, it gives me kind of the, mm-hmm. it gives me kind of the creeps. I mean, the speed mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. energy and oh, man, it's awesome. Mm, like any sport of course it evolved too so basically they're just adding another flip you know and um, another spin since the time you know when i did it Uh, so the level definitely evolved and like the young kids are charging but also uh, you know the the whole training conditions got a lot better and even more Mm. professional you know we didn't have these airbags where you can practice your tricks into just didn't exist Right. Right. So now you have a bit more of safety to practice, you know, and of course, also back at my time, the good guys, you know, they had all some gymnastics background like me or um, diving, like um, boards, diving, you call it like that, right? Um, Yeah. Background. And um, so that you knew, okay, this is how I'm in the air, you know, so that you could do all the tricks. But basically, we would practice in... Then the summertime, during the summer camps, when the pipe was slushy, then the impact wasn't so hard. Hmm. Right. Yeah, but it's not like yeah. going into balls. I mean, yeah. I mean, even even back in your day, I mean, Red Bull was building Sean his own pipe. I mean, it's pretty hard to go not up yet. against a guy that's no, got his own no, pipe. No, oh, no, yeah, was not, it? not yet. Sean was a ah, little okay. kid. So ah, okay. he showed up in one of the last comps and was a little kid. Okay. It was like oh, more, right. I thought, I thought that was his first. Yeah, he was he was just coming in, right? Right. Okay. Yeah, there was Gosh, a Canadian I mean, that, I mean, Canadian guy called Mike Michael Chuck. Maybe you have heard about him. Like that was sure, that, that time. Terry Harkinson had just basically retired, and Sean White was just coming. Yeah, that was. I like mean, my now time. it's it's got to be like the you know the the people coming into the X Alps for the first time and Kriegel, you know, won yeah. seven in a row. I mean, it just you yeah. know they're a different level, right? So mm-hmm. you've got two. I mean, right off the bat here, you've got two things that to me add up to just whoa. You've got these huge building blocks to be an awesome pilot. Engineering. How many people have we had on the show, or how many people do we see in this sport that are engineers? It's just over and over and over again. And then flow. You know, you're, you're obviously a big time flow athlete and a lot of flow history. With you know, Will Gad always said that when he when he sees people coming from flow sports, whether it be even mountain bike riding, but but you know, surfing, skateboarding, snowboarding, mm-hmm. a, uh, any kind of flow activity, kayaking, big one. Um, yeah, then they just get really good, really fast at, at paragliding. And I've often thought it's not just the flow; it's the it's the, the way your brain handles risk, you know, you're, you're doing a trick, like you said, that, that's got so much precision and a little bit of screw up means a broken shoulder, broken mm-hmm. collarbone, broken leg, mm-hmm. you know, the, it, high consequence. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'd love to hear, were you, were you piloting back then? Were you, a, were you, were you a paraglider at all? Had you started yeah. it when you were, yeah. you yeah, were, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, you yeah. Were already. So, okay. yeah, yeah. I um, started flying 1997. So at the oh, time wow, of the okay. Olympics, I was already flying for five years. Um, okay. And, and um, 
I always liked flying, you know, no matter which kind of thing it was with the snowboard, flying, with the surfboard, <laughs> hitting the waves, with the wind surfboard, right? Flying. Yeah. And, yeah. um, or uh, kickers and everything. I always loved it. Um, yeah, but I was a pilot already and I kind of combined it also, you know, spring training in Davos, for example, you know, first mm. snowboard, then go down to the parking lot. My house, <laughs> my car, <laughs> my cars, my castle. My <laughs> and, um, you got your skis, your glider, <laughs> your, correct. Yeah, yeah, your windsurfboard. Yeah. I mean, the, the equipment <laughs> Nowhere to in sleep, the, but you got a lot yeah, of shit. The equipment in the car was worth a lot more than the car around it, right? <laughs> As it should be, dude. As yeah. it should be. That's right. And, um, yeah, so snowboard in, glider out. And um, so I kind of combined it already back then. Yeah. Wow. You were pretty young uh, then because you, you said you were 27 when you kind of retired in, in, in Salt Lake. So you were early 20s when you were flying. You got to be pretty early. Right. 22. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. When I started. Tell me about that phase. The, you know, those first five, you know, when you're you're training for the Olympics and stuff, but you're also piloting. Um, what was that? What was that period of your life like in terms of the flying side, learning it? You know, if you went, if you could go back to that time, would you change anything? No, no, I don't think so. I mean, I I didn't do the standard progression maybe in flying either, right? So I started flying and then um, I had all this outdoor sports background and, you know, I knew where I am in the air, you know, and where my arms and legs and, you know, like this, this motion control. Self-awareness. Yes. And the flight teacher back then quickly realized that I must have some talent, right? So, in fact, the fifth flight already, he was like, oh, we forgot a radio. Well, you, Daniel, you can go without. It's fine, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then I kind of started. So he, he, he right away recognized you just had a better, you had better perception. You had better understanding of, of what was happening. Well, seems like at least, right? Um, I felt like, okay, I'm a beginner. And of course, I'm aware. And you need to be aware. What's your skill level? What's your skill set? Where are you, right? And then what kind of risk? Or is it risk, right? Is it a perception? So if I hit a kicker with like, you know, 80 kilometers an hour, your jacket flapping, you know, and you go like really flying 30 meters over the kicker and doing some spinny flippy stuff, you know, an outsider would go like, you fucking nuts, right? But for me, it was like, no, I'm in control. I know how to handle this. I know how to do it, you know? I know my risk of injury is limited because this trick I've done several times, you know, I hit the kicker first straight, of course, before I do any tricks to get used to the kicker and stuff. And new tricks yeah. we would practice into soft snow or powder or whatever, right? So, and I was aware, okay, I'm a beginner here. But then, um, you know, I started already soaring. The wind was right. The conditions were good. All the other pupils were launching below me. I was watching them, you know, without the radio. And then the guy started waving at me that I should, like, kind of fly out, fly out, you know, like we're done for the day. <laughs> and I was still soaring back and forth. <laughs> yeah, wow. This is great. This exactly. Is working yeah, out perfectly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then, um, and then it was, of course, kind of exciting that um, – you know, I went exploring where I have been, you know, like um, where I was snowboarding. Okay, new mountain, new launch, new new, new landing, new conditions, kind of, you know, figuring it out. That was, of course, exciting. Mm -hmm. But maybe going back a bit and then I 
I did like my 50 flights and then I went straight to an SIV. Mm-hmm. And then I did this SIV also with the same guy and he was basically a bit of a mentor then because he knew I didn't have money and, you know, so he always kept giving me some tips and, you know, so that helped with my progression. And um, so I did this all SIV, full stalling, everything. And then I was done with the SIV and then he was like, yeah, okay, if you like, you can upgrade now here. I, I have a high performance glider here, you know, like if you want to buy it, you can have it. I'm like, really? You know, so I stepped up from like a one to two to a two to three back then. So basically going straight <laughs> to an E&D and I'm like, really? Yeah, yeah, you can handle it. And then I was like, okay, I'll go up here. And that was then overground already. And he taught me yeah, full stall is the reset button, right? I'm like, okay, I'm going up here. I'll do some full stalls, okay? Can you watch me? No? Oh, I handle it. Give me some feedback. And then I went up and it was messed up. Flew out, full stall. Okay, went fine. Another one, did three. Landed. He was like, yeah, yeah look good. And then we made the deal and he sold me the glider. And then he was like, this is the <laughs> glider you're going to learn flying with. Properly, right? Wow, wow. And <laughs> since then... I guess, I mean, for you, for somebody that's really good at aerobatics, <laughs> SIV must have been really boring. Yeah. Oh, geez, I've done that. Nah, it wasn't, I'm, it not wasn't, going, I'm not it, doing an infinite yet. It wasn't boring and infinite didn't exist. It was just when the right. SAT sure, team was also founded. Like, I remember then watching this SAT um on, on, on tape, basically, back then, still, right? Uh, no internet, yeah, nothing. Sure. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And um, so the SAT was just invented, you know, and I was, like, already flying for three years or so. So what we did were wingovers and spirals and more wingovers and yeah. a stall or a spin and stuff like that, right? And um, mm, yeah. so I kind of continued all the time with maneuvers for fun, right? But I didn't find, yeah. I never found it boring. It was always exciting, right? Because I knew consequences. Sure. You need to focus here, right? And then, of course, yeah, yeah. so did you already fly to the Pinskow Valley? You know, like, no, I haven't. Like, what do you need to do? And like, so, you know, so I got into cross-country flying as well. Were, were you living Were you living there, there again in the Northern Alps, near where you are? Because you're near Kemsey now. Were you, is that where you were back then too? Mm. During I studied in Erlangen, which is close to Nuremberg, which is like two hours north of Munich. That's where yep, I grew okay. up and I studied and everything. Um, I couldn't afford to move anywhere else to study, so I just stayed home and did everything from there. But once I had finished my degree, it was clear for me I wanted to be Munich or further south. I wanted to be needed to be mm. closer to the mountains. And that's what I did. And then I was like southeast of Munich, southwest of Munich, and six years I'm living where I'm living, um, which is the closest to the mountains yet, but always south of Munich. This is probably an impossible question, but I'd, I'd like to get your take on if you could if you could look at what's made you a really successful pilot now and compare it back to then, which piece of the pie means more? Is it the engineering or is it the flow? Is it the is it the sport background? How do those two mix in terms of your your becoming a, a world class pilot? Good question. And neither, maybe, honestly speaking. Yeah, really? I mean, 
surely there are elements okay. of it, right? So that you have the yeah. Um, yeah. maybe a bit of an analytical mind and that you can reflect on what you have been doing and that you can visualize, you know, that comes from the sports that you have been doing a lot outside in the nature. You kind of can read you know, we had to. You had to read the mountain when free riding, or you know, like mm -hmm. you need to read the elements when surfing or windsurfing, or like you mentioned kayaking, right? And um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that definitely helped. But um, finally, it was just the, the, the pure fun. Okay, and maybe also engineers like to optimize everything. So I also like to get better at sure. stuff, right? It's just fun, a good journey. So you know, like, what can I? train next where are my gaps okay this is maybe from the sports background where you say okay which is i wouldn't call it like a training plan but you say okay i maybe need to practice my wing overs more you know or i want to fly bigger distance or but finally i also um, i devoured basically everything flying right and i think it's a lot of a mind game. Uh, in fact, it was one Finnish guy telling me back then, snowboard competition, you know, it's all a mind game. And he, he's right. He was right, right? I mean, we were all good snowboarders. So, the, you know, the last final bit is your mind. I read books, you know, about weather, about, you know, about everything you can have. And then go flying a lot. And then if you combine these two, yeah, then you get a better pilot. That's a really good transition to comps, Daniel. You, you and I talked, quite a bit down in, in Colombia, just about your history at your 15th in the world mm -hmm. or something right now. You've, you know, you've had, a, you've had a lot of comp experience, you know, at, at the world cup level, what you hear a lot is for the most part, let's call it, you know, and it, 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 in Colombia, mm -hmm. this was certainly true because it was a very, very high level world cup, the technical ability, you know, in other words, the climbing ability and the gliding ability is is within a few mm -hmm. percent uh, you know, from, from in, in the, in the most, in most of the pilots, it's, it's within mm -hmm. a few percent, right? So that difference, you know, the winning or the top 10 or, you know, being consistent is here. It's up, it's up top. It's in your head. It's the strategy. It's the little things. What can you tell the audience about, you know, some of the tips and tricks and things that you've learned or things to focus on, you know, over your last 20 something years of experience when it comes to comps that, that have consistently helped you in results. Maybe I also need to rewind a bit here because my comp comp experience, like classic central comps, 150 people meet or 100 or whatever, right, at one place and do this thing that we love so much to do, um, is uh, only 10 years from my um, now 25 years mm -hmm. of flying. So before I was kind of the more the lonesome okay. eagle style you know, big cross country. So I was doing the online contest, right? Mm -hmm. Being also multiple German champion. There was a time when I was really, really into this, right? And I flew some triangles and, you know, then I heard later that some people started calling it, you know, my name, the triangle, the Turkish triangle. And um, 
I was like, oh, really? <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm an ex, I'm an ex contest junkie, buddy. I've been watching your name for years. I think I've even, I've even reached out to you on ex contest a few times with trying to get beta on certain parts because you know that pin scout zone really well. But yeah, it's you've, you've sent some huge ones through there. Yeah, that one was like this triangle was in the Garmisch area because I was living in, in closer to Garmisch back then and. Uh, I always said I, I, I rather fly far than drive far, you know. So I wanted to do it from where I live. <laughs> that was like starting in Garmisch yes. and flying all the way, you know, to Bregenz almost to the Lake Bodensee, and then Intal and then Pitztal, Kaunertal, Ötztal, you know, all these valleys. So I can tell you all the way to the main Alps Ridge yes. and back. So yes. I think the biggest back then was like 275 FIA, which I did. Cool. Oh, and beautiful, so, magnificent. You know, then I've been a couple of times German champion. I was like, yeah, okay, and now, you know, so what are we going to do now? And um, and I thought, okay, maybe I go back to, I tried a central comp long, long time ago before that, you know, and I was, it was all raining and I was like, why would you do that? You know, like you take your precious <laughs> holidays to sit in the rain. And I was like, nah. And then um, we went to Mexico, in fact for a holiday and said let's combine it you know i knew there was a monarcha open and that was my first cop basically like 10 years ago oh wow um more or less yeah okay wow that would have been about my first comp probably yeah that could be yeah. in fact i think we you were there i've, I've been yeah. twice in Valle, um and i remember one time we definitely shared a ride to the takeoff and we were having a chat on the ride. I don't know which one it was, if it was the if it was the first one or the second time I've been in Valle. It could be the first one, in fact. Um, yeah. Yeah, that I think that was my first, was was 2012, or maybe it was 2013 was my first, but I, I haven't missed it since. I mean, well, yeah, obviously yeah. COVID, I've missed it, but but uh, uh Monarch is special. I agree. It's one of the best for me with Colombia. For sure, um, Colombia is like a you know a softer Valle de Bravo type flying. Um, yes. But uh, to answer your yes. question, um, so learning number one was okay. You're the lonesome eagle, and you're really good at it. But in a comp, you must be a really, really, really fucking Riegel style lonesome eagle. But even he stays with the group, right? So. Stay with the group yes. is maybe yes. one of the learnings that I learned rather early. And it was pretty stressful for me in the beginning to fly with so many people, right? Especially, and it's still stressful, especially when it's close to the terrain and it's ugly terrain, like in Desantis, like cliff face and too many people. And, you know, there is not a lot of room for error, right? So I find that still stressful. Yeah. And then I still would fly away for safety reasons, basically. So that is one. It's really, really hard to be better by yourself rather than utilizing the swarm intelligence, right? Mm. So that was definitely one learning. Um, the other basic, I think, that is really, really important um, is you must be able to control your wing, the wing you fly, no matter what wing it is. But um, people coming into comps and, you know, for example, the Enzo is, is flyable for a lot of people. But is it really controllable when the shit hits the fan for them? You know, are they able to control it? Hmm. Mm. 
So that is really, I think, very important. And so when you go to some Shabra Open or, you know, like this newcomer comes or also cross-country flying, whatever you do, fly the wing you are comfortable with and you are in control, mm. you know, because then you have the mental capacity to focus on everything else. You have capacity to observe what's the weather doing, what's the wind doing, where's the sun, you know, like all the laddie, laddie, laddie for cross-country flying, but also what are the others doing, you know? Why is this guy breaking away? What does he see that I don't see, you know? Or, or all these things that add up. Or what Or what does it, or what doesn't he see? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sometimes also the opposite. Who is, that, is breaking is that a, away, is that, right? Um, <laughs> And yes, who is doing it? Who's doing it? Exactly. Who's doing it? That's a big um, one. So, <laughs> correct. is it Yasin or is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, exactly. I think this is this is really really important. And with what I what do I mean with wing control? I mean, finally, if you really simplify it, it's all pitch control, angle of attack control. So, the only mm. job you have is to keep the angle of attack in the right window. Not too big, not too small, right? Too big, stall, mm. too small, collapse mm. or st- frontal. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And for that, mm. I think every pilot, and I also, when, I, when sometimes I give a talk, you know, and ask, when should I step up? And I say, okay, you need to know your stall point. Ideally, you can stall the wing smoothly and go enter a nice flyback. Your reset button, flyback. Be able to spin the wing, ideally 180 degrees, so that you can basically, oh, something is ugly here. You know, I need to quickly turn around, which is almost impossible on the aircraft we fly. But yes, 180 degrees spin. So Mm. stall point, again, on one side, it's stall point. So many accidents happen because people try to squeeze their wing, you know, around the corner, and they stall it, they spin it on one side. So... That is important. Mm. And Mm. then I add to it, you should be comfortable flying, ideally full speed collapses on your wing, frontals or side collapses, best as both. And when you're comfortable Mm. doing all that on the wing, you fly. And then when it starts to be boring, then you can consider stepping up. <laughs> so when all when you have that totally down, if that just doesn't even get your heart rate up, then then you might be ready. Yeah, but I mean that's of course unrealistic because also my heart rate still goes up when I go stalling, and I go stalling a lot because I want to keep current with my practice. So winter time or no thermal time, I, I go stalling. And are you are you doing that dirt. over the dirt or over the water? But yeah. So you just yeah. you go off your local hill and just get the just only SIV sure I did over water was this very first one after fifty flights. Wow, really? So everything since yeah. then has been over dirt. I don't recommend it, to be honest. Just to be very clear, I do not recommend it to the you know standard pilot population to do it like this. But once you are comfortable stalling, I think you can do a lot over dirt. And I was pushing my limit, but and this is also maybe I think a good advice for everybody. Push your limit, but push it slowly, 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 gradually, right? Mm. And and back then it wasn't standard to have two rescues. So I had one and I knew, okay, I have one rescue. And so I better not use it. I don't fuck it up, 
you know. So I would go stalling when I felt comfortable mm-hmm. and the conditions were good and everything. But I always had wings kind of like I always had high performance wings, right? In the beginning, I wanted to have a wing that could do both, that could go like cross-country, but you could also have some fun with it, doing some maneuvers. Nowadays, I have a freestyle wing for that with a aqua harness and also two rescues. But I never needed my rescues. Mm-hmm. In 3,000 hours of flight, 25 years, I never threw my rescue because of need of a rescue. No, never. Never. Wow. Was it Was it hard for you to change from the you know the big fais where obviously you're still using a lot of bar to fly you know a 270 fai in a day but you know for for me still even to this day i don't use bar when i go on big flights like i do in a comp you know i mean in a comp you're just stomping all the time and was it was it pretty natural for you to speed wise in and and speed bar usage wise for you to make the transition from big you know big xc flights to to comps because it wasn't really for me it was a whole nother learning curve of using bar and a lot of that's because here we fly Mm. we go downwind a lot you Mm. know we don't have weather to to allow for the fais you know we Mm -hmm. don't have the anthold Mm -hmm. set up here at all so often we're just going downwind and you just don't need as much bar, but, uh, but we should probably, we should, uh, the thing we always talk yeah. about is we need to be using more bar, you know, to go bigger and, and, be, but in a comp you're using it all the time. It's just, for me, it's a different mindset. You know, when I go to a comp, okay, I'm using more bar. Mm, no, not for no. me. Okay. Um, be, because, um, make ready dictates bar. So if you want to fly efficient, Mm. And if you you need to bring up your average speed, otherwise you don't fly 300 or whatever, you know, 200 plus FAA. And and that's maybe also a difference because, yeah, okay, in the beginning, you know, I wanted to fly from Germany all the way to Italy, which I did, right? Mm. So with the wind, basically, one way. I did in the beginning, like everybody, more one ways. Realizing, okay, the second part of the adventure, getting home, you know, just takes also basically a lot of time. Almost, yeah, as a rule of thumb, it was yeah. always, okay, you fly seven hours one direction, you need seven hours to get home, right? That was like roughly the, the math behind sure. it. And then yeah. I said, okay, I prefer to do something like closed, you know, flat triangles or FIA triangles, of course. It's like the best you know, FIA triangles, this is what you do, right? If you want to be, and this is the sexy yes, one. Exactly. This is the sexy move. And um, thus, I was also pushing bar already a lot because, um, well, when it's right. Also, mm. in a comp, you don't push. Uh, that was also maybe a learning. I raised myself to the ground quite often in the beginning. Don't you think that's necessary, though? For the learning. Yeah, probably. To kind of go through that stage. Yeah. I mean, to, you know, I mean, I, I, we, I've heard Aaron Duragati I and mean, some of the, some of the folks that have had a ton of success, you know, they, they all talk about going through this phase where, you know, the, the beginning step, step one, first phase is, is staying with the gaggle, you know, having enough skills to climb as well as the gag as the lead gaggle and, and picking decent enough lines that you can stay with them. Yeah. And then phase two is, you know, yasening, I would say it, you know, is pushing, obviously he's way beyond phase two, but I mean, but in terms of the learning side, you know, you, you push and you bomb out and you, you know, you, you 
you take a little bit of ego hit for a couple years and learn how to fly fast, learn how to make your own decisions. And then you kind of start putting it all together in phase three, where you can pimp when it's the right thing to pimp and lead out when it's the right way to lead out, get the leading points, but not be overly aggressive. You know, yeah. Russ Ogden, discipline. Yeah. I think he summarized it very well in, in the talk with you. I think it was as well. Right. Um, and I agree. So yeah. finally, it is to be a successful compilot, I realized that um, you need to be able to strike the right balance between attack and control. Slow down a bit, right? Um, mm. Also, especially mm. when conditions mm. switch. So the switching gear part. I mean, there are days that are, as you said, crushing bar, boom, you know, like all day long. And then there it's climbing. So finally, we all if we all fly full bar, yeah, you can't gain anything, right? Because everybody is flying full bar. So then it's your climbing abilities and your ability. And this is, I think, also very important, but very difficult to learn lines. Lines, lines, lines. Columbia, you know, you hit the shitty line, you go from zero to zero, you hit a good line. Oh, I'm catching up with the top guys, you know, like, yeah. And and all yeah. this together makes this game so interesting, uh, complex on one hand, but I think this complexity also makes it a very interesting game to play. Yes. Don't, don't you feel like, I, I feel like often it, it comps, there's, there can really be a lot of lemming flying on lines. Do you do you feel that? I I, I often sense that it, it can be pretty easy to catch up. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you get dropped, if you if you blow it, you know, even in Columbia when it's really fast, if you know, because I feel like you know the the lead gaggle will often stay so glued together in a sense that you know, like you said. You could be. It can often be a pretty nice place to be to be just behind that, and you can pick out a better line, and suddenly, boom! You're you're you can kind of play a little bit of leapfrog. But I I find that lines are, like you said, you you can it can destroy you and it can really hero you. And but I often see, you know, a whole bunch of people on not a great line and and just not being searchy enough. I don't know that. Mm, yeah, maybe it's because they just want to stay with their group, especially with it when it's the lead group. But I must also say, at, at least on a really high-level comp, like in Colombia it was, the World Cup, or in Gemona, or wherever, you know, like where really all the top, top, top guys come, uh, mistakes uh-huh. are painful. And at least for me, it is ultra difficult. I don't find it so easy to catch up because, you know, then they are smart enough in this gaggle and they spread out a bit in this leading gaggle. Sometimes it even splits, you know. And then I, me personally, I find it pretty hard to catch up. Basically, it's only possible when they make a mistake or they have some hang up somewhere, you know, because they have to thermal something weak because they raced too much to the ground. And, you know, so, but if they don't get stuck and they continue full speed, boom, thermal, full speed, boom, thermal, 
and they're so good and efficient, it's impossible to catch up. Yeah, they're if they're being efficient. Yeah, I should clarify that. If I said easy, I didn't mean that. It's never easy. It's it's. Uh, <laughs> but the but the I've just found that the the line sometimes can be where you can really grab an advantage. Absolutely. Where, and I'm yes. and I'm not and I'm not good at them. I'm just saying that if you're if you're willing to stay searchy, just like we are when we climb. You can often, oh, you know, and like you said, sometimes it's just you got to stay with them and hammer bar, even if you're not in a good line because you don't want to lose them. But sometimes it's pretty worth just moving a little bit. This isn't a very good line. I'm going to just move. Yeah, especially flatland. So I think we must differentiate here flatland flying versus mountain flying because mountain flying, the line is the line, right? I mean, you don't suddenly start searching over the valley. No, you, start, you stay. You know, you stay. You know, with the model. You know, the model when you when you paint it with honey and you turn it around. So basically, you stay where the triggers are. That's your line, right? Sure, um, of course. Along, along the ridge, basically. Or if it's ridge racing, like in Bassano or wherever. Yeah, there is only one line, like, and that's it. But yeah. Colombia or Macedonia or flatlands in general, there it can make sense to search a bit more. And there you have more this impact of lines. I read also now in Brazil, apparently, I also never made it to Baixo. So I always wanted to go. This is, go in the door this too, is torture, but, my friend, watching this yeah. comp. And they're, they're just starting day seven. Actually, torture. they're trying it right now. Yeah. And I've never been to Baishu. I wanted to go so bad this year and I had to cancel. But it was, God, it looks good down there. Oh, yeah. just seven days yeah, of epic. I mean, similar like you, I have other obligations. I have a family and, you know, I have a job and I can't be everywhere. It's impossible. And yes, it's a torture, but I think... We we don't need to cry too loud because we've been in Colombia and it's been really great. <laughs> yeah, it was really it was really yeah. great. It was yeah. No, it we, seems none of us, like none too of us long have anything ago. to cry about. I know. Too long ago. Too long ago. Yeah. Well, I, okay. So that that's a good transition too. The, you so you did the you know you did the crusher big flights. That was the real focus for a long time, and I still see you doing that. I know you're still doing that yeah. now, but um, but you're in your you know German team a whole bunch of times, and you're right at the top right now in the world. What are your goals now? You know, you've been doing the racing thing for the last 10 years. You know, I, I've, I've never, I started racing about 10 years ago as well, but I haven't done it at your, your level. I'm, I've been more focused on the X Alps and that kind of takes me out yeah. of comps for a year, yeah. but now I'm, yeah. I'm really thinking, I think I'd really like to put some time and energy into that. And at the same time, I think, gosh, is that a worthy endeavor? I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm curious if, is it, is it something you're still really passionate about? Do you love it? Do you, do you want to keep pushing that side of things? Absolutely. I love it. You like, you like racing. I love racing and, um, I think I still have a long way to, you know, get better and learn. Yes, okay, I'm in the top 15 of the world, but, you know, I, for example, I've never been on the World Cup podium, mm. right? Or Europeans. Mm. Okay, Europeans, I was six, and in the world, in Argentina, I was ninth. So top 10 also, I've been at the World Cup, top 10. Top 10 is a good result, right? Sure. So top sure. 10 is always good. But top yep. three or top five is better. I yeah. <laughs> also also top ten in the world sounds better than fifteen. Um, but maybe that's just a side effect, right? Um, because like you can't as and you talked a lot about it with um, you know 
with your ex-helps colleagues and, you know, these results-oriented goals, you know. Thomas Terrier says it as well, right? Uh, yeah. It doesn't make sense. It, you can only try to improve yourself and, sure. and your type of flying. And my goal is to become a better bird, let's say, right? Mm. Um, mm. Be more elegant, be better, be more efficient, be more in control of the wing and be a better pilot still. And I think this journey never ends. And Sure. And and I think that's also the, the good part about it. And flying the comps, I I think that it's a bit different because first of all, I haven't won them boom 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 like you know like with the with the other thing. Like if if I keep winning everything, okay, maybe it starts to be boring. I don't know, but I don't <laughs> see that happening because <coughs> I still have other obligations and I can only do as good as I can do, and I can't do so many comps so. Because so, and and I cannot compare, let's say, to Honorat, who flies I don't know one thousand hours a year or whatever. It's his job <laughs> to fly, right? Um, sure. So I'll probably never be as good as him, but I'd like to be. And there mm-hmm. is potential, right? I can sniff it a bit here and there, and you know, I have my highlights. But what I also really do like about the comps is the the community. Mm. The, it's a bit of a social aspect too, right? With it compared sure. to the lonesome yeah. eagle thing, because you yeah. meet like you meet the people all over the world, and it continues. But a lot of faces have been there for a long time, like you, right? And so I'm, I'm happy yeah. to see you, hey Gavin, you know, like or whoever. And I mean, I don't see you much, um, like or, or, or the others outside of it. Outside of it, yeah, right. So you just see right. those guys sure. during. And, you know, and you meet people from all over the world or in Europe and, you know, and I can apply some language skills here, there, you know, I speak Spanish and English and Czech and German. So it's also fun, you know, to speak with those guys and yeah. speak with those guys and have a beer together afterwards. And, you know, it's the thrill, but then also like the community and then, you know, the let's have a beer afterwards. I like it. It's fun. Daniel, we talked in Colombia that w- one of the things you're really most proud of, and you you give talks about this, and I know you talked about it in your in your podcast in the the, the German podcast. Um, Twenty five something years of flying now, no accidents. And as we started the show, you know, you're not risk averse. <laughs> you were in the Olympics in the pipe, you know. So you you know you you do you take risks. You're obviously very comfortable with risk. You know, these big flights, the two seventies and stuff and the bigger you know, these huge FAIs that involves risk. Mm-hmm. You're flying in the lead. Mm-hmm. Um what do you what do you chalk up this this very safe run to? Luck maybe should be part of it. <laughs> Um, of course there is but I think it's I try to calculate the risk you know um, like the risk reward part of it and the best way to mitigate risk and we, I think I said it before already is skill so if you are really skilled and smart so don't be dumb right? Um, don't take dumb decisions, right? And I, and I also had close calls, right? I mean, 
no doubt about that. So that's why there was a bit of luck involved as well, um, for sure. Um, but I think it's skills like, you know, in snowboarding or any other sport, surfing, let's take surfing as an example. If you're not a good surfer, you wouldn't even dare to go out in the big conditions, you know, like you wouldn't even manage because first of all, you see the waves, how big they are. And second, you try to go out and you probably don't even manage the shore break. You get just get spat out. And well, if yeah, you'd never even get there, you never even Thank get God. there. You probably, you know, yep. will be spat out half drunk, half drowned, right? Drowned. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and so knowing, being able to assess the conditions and match them to your honest reflected skill level. I think this is what helps you stay safe, right? Hmm. So your skill level hmm. must match the conditions you are trying to fly in and the wise decisions. Um, so as I said, if it's maybe in the lee side, and I would never, for example, push bar into the lee side full on when I don't have, let's say, 100 meters, right? Better 150. Mm -hmm. Because 150 so is kind of some margin. my threshold. 50 for the shit to happen. 50 to assess, can I fix it? And 50 for the rescue to work. But that is already like really yeah. on the limit, right? Yeah, that's close. Yeah, that's very sure. close. And okay, then it makes a difference. Is it for rocky, ugly terrain below? Or is it all a dense, nice forest? And in the worst case, okay, I go down in the woods. It's not nice to be hanging in a tree. I, I don't want that experience. But trees are your right. friends, right? A dense forest, you probably won't be heavily injured. So also that yeah. you must take into account in, in your risk calculation. But having said all that, and I knock on wood here, um, is, is <laughs> there is a remaining risk, and I think Will Gatz did it as well, that no, which... We are taking, right? But you are taking, I mean, it's called living, right? You drive a car, mm. there is risk. You leave the house, there is risk, right? Yeah. And and so, um, yeah, but it's too much fun. You had a, you, you had, remind me, you had a crazy incident in, in DeSantis, which that sounded like a dicey. Everybody I've talked to about DeSantis said it was really on the edge at times, uh, you know, with the lee and the wind. And didn't you have a you barely cleared the ground or something when you, you had a collapse and near the cliff wall? Yeah. You talk about that? Yeah. That was crazy. Did I tell you or did somebody else tell you? You told me. Yeah, you yeah told in me Columbia, Columbia, exactly. Yeah, because we're talking. Yeah, that was one of the closest calls, in fact, I ever had. And typical thing. Yes, it was. We were racing along the cliff, rocky faces, and there was like a shoulder and the wind was coming like from sermons, like on the right side kind of thing. But it was also this like kind of northerly, northwesterly and dumping in. I believe that, um, you know, I, I came there and I saw the others climbing away. I wasn't in front front, but, um, you know, I saw them taking that line and I looked good. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to follow. But when I reached that kind of shoulder, it was ugly air. You know, I felt it. And I was like, ah, no, I don't like that. I, you know, release bar and I want to have more ground clearance. And so as I fly away from the terrain, 
I believe it. I hit like a some sort of <clears throat> rotor, basically coming a sideways rotor, maybe combined. And people can't see me combined with a standard classic downwind rotor, and I'm flying away. Mm-hmm. And um, well, I was still maybe on half bar, but um, kaboom! You know, the terrain side of my wing collapsed, which is kind of really nothing you want to have. And so there is my another mm-hmm. another golden rule I have. I want to have enough space to make at least one turn to the terrain, right? One full 360 to have that space. And I needed it. And I used all my skills I had from, you know, recovering wings. And, um, but it was one of these events where everything slows down and, you know, like, like, okay, this is really, really, no, you need full focus, right? And I managed to recover, and I, 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 it was really close, right? I mean, I even touched the ground and fly away. Whoa. So you had the collapse. It spun you towards the hill. You caught it and flew away, and your, your ass hit the ground on the way out? I caught it. I kind of I kind of stalled it, yeah, and my ass hit the, hit, the, hit the grass. It was a grassy patch then already. Oh. Um, yeah. And that reminded me, it was a good wake-up call and a good reminder to stay with these golden rules, 150 meter above the ground, enough space to make the spin toward terrain. And no matter what your skill set is, you might get an, you know, and read the air and anticipate. And, you know, like I kind of felt, ah, it's not, it's getting ugly. And um, yeah, everything close to the terrain is dangerous. Yeah, there there are things that there are things that can happen to us that skill doesn't matter too much anymore. You know, if you don't have the terrain clearance, you know, it's uh you don't want to you don't want to be relying on miracles, do you? Yeah, but skill I think still helps because it makes a big difference if you impact out of a pendulum because you let your wing shoot or you're uh, yeah. you're, you're you're um skilled enough and aware enough that okay, I can't recover it maybe and I don't have enough height. Okay, let's keep the wing above my head no matter what it looks like, but no pendulum. So, and I mean, I visualized a lot everything, you know, like I do a lot of, and I never, it's not true. I threw my rescue once um, because it needed a repack. So, and it was in winter time. Oh. Man, I was scared. I would have preferred oh. to do five full stalls rather than throw my rescue. <laughs> <laughs> I had never done it. <laughs> and so I threw my rest. I flew straight, you know, and I was like, okay, how high am I over the landing field? Okay, yeah, this should do. Uh, yeah, maybe wait a little bit because I don't want to search for my container, right? Uh, no, but not, now I'm going to do it. I had a steerable one too, and I wanted to try, you know, the steering part of it. It took me a while to position and do, uh, okay, now I throw it, you know, and then I threw it and, Uh, and the steering part i mean the thing opened and i was looking okay my container is going this way and okay let's release the glider here um and then okay now we could start steering oh no the ground's already here so yeah (laughs) 
It all happens pretty yeah. quick. Uh, yeah, the the videos that uh, Urs Hari puts out are are really terrific for that because he's doing it every day, just yeah, over and over and over again. And it makes you realize how much there is to do, you know, disabling the wind. I did the same thing with the, the I, I flew I threw down in Colombia a bunch of years ago on the Evox on a practice day, and it, right when I got there, everybody said, "Oh, you know, Roll the Neo is different this year. It's all spicy and it's it's really strong." And I had just come from Menarca and I just get out. What are you talking? This isn't, it's not strong in Colombia, and it was pretty strong. Anyway, I, lo- I lost my wing. And when I, 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 when I went to throw, I actually waited for quite a long time because my wing was okay. It was just, you know, it was, I was too low to try to do something else. Or I, I, I wasn't comfortable trying to do something else because there was mm-hmm. lots of power lines. And so I thought, okay, I'm just going to fly out over yeah. the bench because yeah. I was back yeah. over the D, you know, yeah. and it drops away. And, and I thought, okay, I'm going to fly because there was the little teeny tiny field otherwise it was all just forest and i thought okay i'll get to windward of that teeny tiny field then i'll throw i mean i have lots of time to think about this and i'll throw and i'll steer it in and maybe i'll just be able to relaunch from there you know and uh because i had a steerable so i did i did all that but by the time i threw and duh I was on the ground. I mean, I never even got to the chance of trying to, it takes a while, you know, and I was able, I just packed it up and flew out of there. It was great. It all worked out really well, but, but uh, yeah, it's, it takes, it takes a bit of time. I mean, disabling the glider is, that's a big step, you know? Well, I have quick outs for that reason. Yeah, oh, I think it only nice. makes yeah, sense. That's great. I have that yeah, with my Acro I kit. Have, I, I need have to have that quick on my on both. kit. I have quick outs. I have a release system for my bar. I basically boom. And I use it, and it's all oh, maybe we haven't talked about it, but passive safety. So that's also an important part for me. Um, so yeah, okay, mm. two reserves. God, I have I have a whole other set of that stuff. I need. Put I them, just haven't put it on put my them. with my. Yeah, so I on. have them yeah. for various reasons, right? Mainly because of the Rogalo, because then it's more easy and faster to okay, boom, bing, gone right or you have it on one break or whatever and then yeah. the whole system works a lot better number one so put it on um second i use them already when i was landing backwards you know in howling wind and you know then i just touch down and the moment i touch down i do bling and my wing is completely disabled right i'm not being dragged through any field you just you just you just Both. get rid of one both. When you do I, that? I did both. Oh, and, you just let it go. And, okay. Um, oh, wow. Well, basically, you keep your brakes, right? And then your wing is yep. landing softly on the brakes, even in howling wind, and brilliant. you can easily manage it. So that's another reason. Ah, and, well, who knows? Yep. Um, you have some shit going on. You, 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 you mess up river, even a creek, whatever. You want to be able to get rid of it. Yeah. And um, for... For that reason, I yeah. also carry a hook knife, a big fucking yep. proper That's hook knife, you know, with a proper handle proper, and it cuts everything I tried. Knife. It cuts like through four layers of webbing like butter, like, right? So um, yeah. I never used it. I never used the, you know, I, but I heard stories also people coming down on rescues, you know. One one almost disappeared in a in a crevice in a glacier, you know. Because when do you pull rescue? When it's ugly and howling and really ugly, right? Otherwise, why wouldn't we need a rescue normally? Right. And so I want to be able to cut away the rescue. Um, on the other guy, I know he did, he was dragged into a ravine and he he ended up being like he was bandaged like a mummy, top to toe, 
Um, From just getting yes. pulled through the stuff? Yes. With high winds? So yeah. that's another Oof. reason I think um, it's good to carry um, a proper hook knife. And thirdly, and this is, I think, also big danger, um, and that's why I think we should all be very friendly and very respectful with each other in these gaggles. And a collision, that is, yeah, and I, I um, so as soon as I should have any lines around my head or neck, you know, I just take the hook knife and cut everything away. Like, you know, I will go like, ballistic with the hook knife yeah. all around myself before pulling the rescue. Yeah, get rid of that get stuff. Get rid of that stuff. This is the uh, th- this is the this is the one side of the sport that I I frequently find, um, you know, in, in a sense, when you're at a World Cup, you feel better about being really close because everybody's really good. But you know, we had a the World Cup in Turkey this this fall. I, I don't know if it was because there was there was a lot of pilots there that had never been in a World Cup. It was you you know it was uh, there was thirty or so spots open. Mm-hmm. I think because of COVID and everything else. So. I don't know if it was that, but there were, it was insanely aggressive and uh, especially mm-hmm. before the start, which mm-hmm. just infuriates me. And I, I, I find that side, you know, we don't, we don't see gliders blowing up that mm-hmm. much, you know, these days, it, we, what we see is midairs and that, that part of it is, is spooky. I don't like that. I, I, and it does, it's unnecessary too. But I haven't, I haven't seen many midders, and basically the gaggles I choose to fly with. Um, of course, obviously it's the good ones, right? So if I fly with the good Frenchies, I am yeah. daring to go really close with them, or with the really good Germans. You know, um, it's cool because I know everyone is away, everyone is watching it, everybody, you know, like, um, and they react as well. I had once, also in Descentes, by the way, but the one the previous World Cup. I was thermaling together with Ferdi, you know, and and I took a collapse on the outside and kind of, whoa, you know, it lifted me and kind of spun me towards him. And I was like, ah, and he was like, I, I, no worries, I see you, you know. <laughs> so he just made some space and we continued <laughs> thermaling together. I didn't lose a lot of height or anything, right? But no just problem. for a second, two. I wasn't able to steer my glider where I wanted to go, right? Because, of course, when you have a big collapse and it's a lee thermal and you're being punched up with six meters per second and, you know, half of your wing is missing, well, you're not steering so much, right? You're, <laughs> you're fixing, you're fixing, you're not steering, you're fixing it. <laughs> and, um, and then it, of course, helps when you have really good pilots around you. That can also, for example, quickly spin the wing, you know, to make yeah. space for you if necessary or whatever. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's surprising when you're when you're with the lead gaggle how uh, you, you know no, nobody's nobody's worried about too much. You know, you're you're nice and tight on everybody, and and it all just it's oh, I love that, mo- that yeah. love that motion. You know, the motion yeah. of the birds and everybody we're all just so in tune. I mean, everybody's trying to beat yeah. each other, but you're also yeah. just working together. And you know, you could just be within yeah. inches, and it just nah, he's got me. I got him. We're good. Yeah, exactly. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. It? Yeah. And you know, you see the grin under his full face helmet. I mean, you don't see the grin, but you see the grin, right? Um, I, at least that's what I imagine. Yes. You know, I'm having yes. a grin yes, and exactly. I'm imagining yeah, the other guy having a grin and we're enjoying ourselves. The barrio is screaming and we are going up and yeah, you know, we got the ballistic thermal. Go for it. 
we're all adding wrinkles to our eyeballs and, mouth, and mouths every time we fly, aren't we? Just from the smiling. Yeah. And, and people are not having collapses. These this level people, we are not having collapses thermally. You know? No. People are in control, which is cool. No. Yeah. It's cool to be part yeah. of it. That is cool. That is cool. This, this may be a, a too obvious of a, of mm-hmm. a question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. We, I read in the commentary when we were down at Columbia that Honoran's been on the podium in 40, I think she said 41% mm-hmm. of the races he's been mm-hmm. in, which is just mm-hmm. mind blowing. I mean, I, I can't imagine there's anybody else that's even at 10, but you know, we, uh, there's all the obvious things what you see a thousand hours a year or whatever it is, you know, that this is his job. Um, but what, what are the things that maybe aren't so obvious? You know, what, what are the thing? Why is he so consistent? Cause that's incredible consistency. I don't know. I asked him, he doesn't know. I mean, he's probably also just a really good talent and he has a good headspace and, you know, he's, he's observative. He's just doing, he, Less mistakes than we do, right? I mean, we all do mistakes and the little mistakes. It's yeah. maybe just little mistakes. And Kriegel. So little mistakes add up. And so maybe he is doing least mistakes. Um, <sighs> I don't know if I would know it. I would copy it. <laughs> Try to. <laughs> we all would. We um, all would, isn't we? Yeah. I think I mean, it's all the pieces. And because it's such a complex game, I think it's really hard to pinpoint it down to one thing, right? It, it's impossible, I think. So I think he's just really good in all aspects. I mean, he's just from another planet. Maybe, maybe he's an alien. I don't know. He's, he's putting that jigsaw together. Maybe, maybe he was. Maybe could he be, was a bird be. in his previous <laughs> life, or whatever. I don't know. I mean, Luke is also really good, and um, I mean, there are many. I, I often there are more. Um, and 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 Russ, whew, I mean, like you know, he shows up and he's consistent too. Um, experience, surely, experience is also part of it, you know. Yeah, I was just gonna say. I mean, you just threw out three names that fly almost every day. You know, they're flying in Gordon and they're testing wings and they're out. They're out on the hill almost every day, and you know, so there's no magic here, is there? It's just time. You know, and experience hours, 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 yeah, hours, and hours help. I mean, luckily we're not flying. You know, we're not running marathon where you know you need to consistently train, 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 or you lose your physique, right? You lose it if you if you stop running for a week yeah. or two, like yeah, or you know it about the exits, right? You need to build it, and it takes long, and you lose it quickly. All this endurance mm-hmm. stuff. Um, so it's not so much the endurance mm. that we need, right? So you can have a break for a month and you can still be good, right? But of course it helps. Yeah. The more hours you have, the better you fly. Yeah. It's these nuances, right? You have better wing control. You climb better. You feel more comfortable. You you climb 0.1, 0.2, whatever, better than because you're so current. So Surely the hours are part of the game. Yeah. But there are people that yeah. maybe don't fly so many hours and still show up and boom, you know. Yeah. It see it, it does it does seem like there's a bit of a key you know in in the game where okay, you're right. The honor and the Luke's the Russ they're they're at another level, but 
you know, when you, you do see a lot of consistency at these World Cups, you know, race after race after race. And it seems to me that there are there are pilots who have somewhere along the line have gotten the key. They've they've gotten the golden key and they've unlocked the door. And to them, like you said, it's it's not quite like riding a bike, but it's pretty close. You know, they they have figured out the little things that in other words, it's not just totally create, you know, we, we all have good days. We all can show up at a comp and just have one and have a good comp, but, but to do it all the time isn't, isn't to me is another level. Yeah. There are some people that are really consistent. Julian Wiltz, Charles Cazot, you know, they're also really consistent. I mean, they're maybe not winning, yes, but yes. Ulrich Prince, you know, they show up at a comp and, or Ferdi, also a very good yeah. example, right? They show up at a comp and they're in the top 10. Yeah. Well, well, let's say in the top 20% for sure. Yeah, pretty much always. Yeah. yeah. Daniel, what a treat, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm I'm glad we got to do this. It's good to get to know you a little bit better. And also just can't wait to fly with you some more, man. I got all fired up in Columbia and I'm Mm -hmm. I'm building a house this year, so I'm not going to be able to do it as much, but uh, hope to see you in Macedonia. I will be in Macedonia. That's where I'm going to. I, I hope to too. Yes, yes. and then super final, buddy. We're we're going to Mexico. Uh no more holidays. I don't have enough holidays. You're not going to super final? Yeah, I can't. I mean, I spent already two weeks in. I have a standard engineering job, you know. I have a standard job. I must cope with thirty days of holidays, and I must also oh, take a few no. for my family at least. Right? That's important. So, um, yes. Okay, that's important. So I do. I'll do Macedonia. I do the German Open <coughs> from the long comps. I do some smaller ones in between, but I already uh, looked at the calendar and in shock, I realized I don't have enough left for. Ah, it's too bad it wasn't in January. You need the, you need the flip of the year, but yeah, exactly. I already (laughs) spent two weeks, you know, so, which I normally don't. It took me eight years to come back to Colombia. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, like I said, we're, we're in no position to cry about, I mean, yeah. we're, 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 we're doing yeah. all right, but well, good. Well, I'll see you in Macedonia and, and I can't yes. wait. And thank you very much, my yes. friend. I appreciate it. Thanks for your time. You're highly welcome. If you find the cloud-based mayhem valuable, you can support it in a lot of different ways. You can give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher or however you get your podcast. That goes a long ways and helps spread the word. You can blog about it on your own website or share it on social media. You can talk about it on the way up to launch with your pilot friends. I know a lot of interesting conversations have happened that way. And of course, you can support us financially. This show does take a lot of time, a lot of editing, a lot of storage and music and all kinds of behind the scenes costs. So if you can support us financially, all we've ever asked for is a buck a show. And you can do that through a one-time donation through PayPal, or you can set up a subscription service that charges you for each show that comes out. We put a new show out every two weeks. So, for example, if you did a buck a show and every two weeks, it'd be about $25 a year. So way cheaper than a magazine subscription, and it makes all of this possible. Uh, I do not want to fund this show with advertising or sponsors. We get asked about that uh, pretty frequently, but I for a whole bunch of different reasons, which I've said many times on the show, I don't want to do that. I don't like having that stuff at the front of the show. And I also want you to know that these are authentic conversations with real people. And these are just our opinions, but our opinions are not being skewed by sponsors or advertising dollars. I think that's a pretty toxic business model. So I hope you dig that. Um, 
You can support us. If you go to cloudbasedmayhem.com, you can find the places to support. You can do it through patreon.com forward slash cloudbasedmayhem. If you want a recurring subscription, you can also do that directly through the website. Uh, we tried to make it really easy, and that will give you access to all the bonus material, little video casts that we do and extra little uh nuggets that we find in conversations that don't make it into the main show but we feel like you should hear we don't put any of that behind a paywall if you can't afford to support us then just let me know and i'll set you up with an account of course that'll be lifetime and hopefully and you're being in a position someday to be able to support us but you'll find all that on the website uh, all of you who have supported us or even joined our newsletter or bought cloud-based mayhem merchandise t-shirts or hats or anything you should be all set up you should have an account and you should be able to access all that bonus material now thank you so much for listening i really appreciate your support and we'll see you on the next show thank you